Ah, you obviously know Kung Fu. You're listening to the Kung Fu Drive-In Podcast. Happy New Year! Welcome to the Kung Fu Drive-In Podcast. Adjust your speaker box, sit back, relax, and remember, your Kung Fu may be good, but mine is better. Five students of the famed Ten Tigers find themselves on the wrong end of a revenge plot. With the hunters drawing ever closer, will they learn the lessons of the battles fought before them, or will an enemy from the past get his vengeance against the future? Welcome to the Kung Fu Drive-In Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Vita, and in this, the final episode of 2016, in the middle of the 12 days of Christmas, we check out the Ten Tigers from Kwangtung. Ten Tigers of Kwangtung is a 1979 Shaw Brothers film directed by Chang Che and featuring an all-star cast of Shaw favorites. The film tells the story of the legendary Ten Canton Tigers, an actual historical group of ten Chinese martial artists who lived around the 19th century during the Qing Dynasty. They were said to be the best fighters in southern China at the time. So check out this cast. First, we have the venerable kung fu superstar Ti Lung playing Li Jian Chao, who in real life was a master of southern praying mantis and seven stars fist. Ti Lung plays the role with the usual nobility and presence as he is the elder statesman of the crew. Then we have Fu Shang playing Tan Ming, who was nicknamed Three Legs Tan for the three types of kicks he used. And honestly, as far as nicknames go, Three Legs Tan is not a bad one to be saddled with, am I right, ladies? Fu Shang's character is the impetuous hothead of the group, which was almost a staple of Fu Shang. Tragically, his life was cut short in 1983 in a car accident. Next up, we have Wei Pai playing Wang Qingying, the real-life father of another legendary folk hero, Wang Fei Hung. Wei Pai played the snake venom in the Five Deadly Venoms. Dick Wei is next, playing Wang Cheng Kei, who specialized in the Nine Dragons Fist. Wei had a healthy career with both the Shaw Brothers and Golden Harvest Studios and was rumored to have broken Cynthia Rothrock's jaw while they were shooting a film together. Sun Chen plays Wan Yi Ling, a master of the Lion's Roar style of Kung Fu. Sun Chen is better known by many fans as the Scorpion Venom. Lu Feng's next, playing Su Hei Hu, who was trained in the Southern Shaolin style but later created his own style known as Black Tiger. Lu Feng takes a heroic turn in this film as opposed to the many villainous roles he played in his career, including that of the Centipede Venom. Philip Kuo plays Beggar Su, or Beggar So Chan, who is famous for his skill in Drunken Fist and Shaolin Staff. Now, we've seen Beggar So before, as he's a folk hero in his own right, having shown up in Drunken Masters, played by Simon Yun. Now, Yun plays up the dirty, disheveled beggar side of the character, whereas in this film, Philip Kuo, who was also the Lizard Venom, plays the character more like his drunken sheriff from The Kid with the Golden Arm. He drinks heavily, but other than the nickname, you would never guess that his character was any kind of homeless beggar at all. Yung Hung, another Shaw staple with plenty of villain roles under his belt, plays Ti Chao San, who is known for his skill in the Iron Wire Fist. He's more commonly known by his nickname, Iron Bridge 3. Now, my favorite Venom, the hybrid Venom, Chang Sheng, plays Shoyu Sheng, who is known for his soft hand techniques and his mastery of the long staff. And finally, we have Lo Mang, the fan favorite Toad Venom, playing Iron Finger Chung, who specializes in the Iron Finger style of Kung Fu. Again, not necessarily a terrible nickname to have when you're trying to pick up the fly honeys, right? Our film opens up in a casino where we're introduced to a shifty-eyed Tung Chi who's meeting up with his nephew, Liang Shouhu. They've tracked five students here and are plotting to exact some revenge for a wrong from years earlier that resulted in the death of Liang Shouhu's father. However, these aren't just any five ordinary students. Those are the five pupils of Kwantung Tigers. Your father challenged their masters and was killed. But Tung Chi wisely decides that the two of them alone wouldn't be able to handle the five skilled students, so they hatch a scheme to divide and conquer. As four of the students get nicely liquored up, the fifth student, who also happens to be working as security at the casino, gathers up his sloshed buddies and gets them to their room to sleep it off. When he returns to the casino, Tung Chi and Liang Shou Hu stage an argument to ensure that security would have to come and investigate. Right on cue, the fifth student responds to the scuffle and meets with treachery. Fight scene. 
As the bouncer steps in to stop the staged fight, the younger Liang puffs up and challenges the burly fifth student, then throws a punch that the bouncer stops easily with just an open palm. It's clear that the fifth student has some serious kung fu power because he meets another thrown punch with his other palm and muscles Liang's fist back towards him. However, as he's preoccupied with the little guy, Uncle Tung steps up behind him and Tiger claws the back of his head, lifting him off the ground, causing the bouncer to scream in rather than agony. Uncle Tung then flips the student onto a table, where the younger Liang runs up and buries a knife deep in his gut. The other casino patrons just stand there in shock while the murderer's pair just casually walk away. The other four pupils are alerted to the murder and suddenly sober, they rush back to the casino floor where they find their comrade bleeding out all over a table. When they lift the body, under the student scrawled in blood is a message. There's more death to come. Thanks show who is here for revenge. So, quick logic problem here. The guys who killed the student stabbed him on top of that table and almost immediately walked away. So how the hell did they get the message written in blood under the body? I half expected David Blaine to turn around and give that slow-eyed stare at the camera, then magically glide off screen. Anyway, the remaining four pupils gather to figure out what the next move's going to be. One of the students recognizes the name and pieces together the motive that goes back a few years and involved their masters and an anti-Ching freedom fighter named Chai Min Yi. We then cut to a flashback close-up of Chai Min Yi as he's running from a small garrison of foot soldiers. Leading the way is Johnny Wang Lung Wei, another kung fu star whose filmography could be its own podcast topic. Here, he plays General Liang, the father of Liang So Hu, and whose death, spoiler, kicked off this whole movie in the first place. Johnny Wang is always an intensely menacing figure on screen, and a lot of it comes from the way he throws the side eye at everyone he talks to. It's the ancient Chinese version of Blue Steel, and no one works it like Johnny Wang. There's a reward for whoever captures Chai Min Yi. Mr. Chai does his best to stay out of sight and backs himself into a blind alley where he's about to get jumped by some of the soldiers when a figure clad all in black shows up and swiftly and silently takes the goons down before they're able to alert General Yang. This figure is dressed in a variation of ninja garb and he secrets Mr. Chai away into a pawn shop where this guy has a full-on secret fireplace that swivels open into a hideaway room behind it. Here the fugitive and his savior become better acquainted. The ninja turns out to be Li Jen Chao, a rebel sympathizer, and he's pledging to help Mr. Chai avoid capture and reunite with his group in the south. As the owner of one of the local pawn shops, Li Jen Chao is better equipped than most to keep Mr. Chai hidden away while he figures out their next move. The next day, while Li Jen Chao is conducting a regular day's business, a couple of guys come in and try to pawn off some garbage, then ask for a ridiculous amount of money. The clerk initially refuses, but Mr. Li comes over and pays out. After the guys leave, Mr. Li, suspecting something fishy, tells his clerk to ask his brother Tan Ming to see what's up. We're then introduced to Alexander Fusheng as he's practicing some of his kung fu. The clerk comes over to tell him what just happened, and Mr. Tan heads out to intercept the hooligans. He meets up with them as they're leaving the shop, and when the leader of the pack sees them, he quickly lays down his ill-gotten gains and explains that the rival pawn shop put them up to it. Mr. Tan winds up to deliver a beating when he's stopped by Wei Pai, playing Wang Jiying. Mr. Wang asks for Mr. Tan to show some mercy, which he obliges out of respect for this old friend of his brother's. Meanwhile, at the rival pawn shop, the owner, Mr. Chu, is furious with his lackeys for failing to bilk his competitor out of some money. Apparently, he's got his own agenda. We'll soon see. He'll pay. Mr. Wong and Wang Cheng Kei, played by Dick Wei, are pledging their support and assistance to Mr. Li. Li Jianxiao wants to build up his own Ocean's Eleven type of crew and suggests adding a few more people. I have a few more helpers in mind. First on the list is Wang Yin Lin. Also, I'd like to get Su He Hu. Tan Ming comes in and questions why his brother's looking for these guys, and here, T-Lung does a nice job of expressing some hesitation on fully explaining why he's recruiting them. Tan Ming doesn't even wait for an explanation when he tells them that he knows where they are and that he can deliver them one way or another. As he leaves, we see the exasperated Li Chao resign himself to the situation and do his best to explain his brother's shortcomings. He's very temperamental. That's his nature. That's why I haven't told him about Mr. Chai yet. Apparently, Tan Ming is such a hothead, his own grandfather refused to teach him Kung Fu. 
so he taught himself. We catch up to him later as he's observing Wang Yinlin, played by Scorpion Venom's son Chen, as he's practicing his moves on some steps across a mess of poles of varying heights. Tan Ming recognizes the style and calls Wang Yinlin out. He brusquely tells Wang Yinlin that his brother's looking for him. He then motions like Wang Yinlin's like a dog or something, and of course Mr. Wang rebuffs it without a word. Ever the hothead, Tan Ming hops up onto the poles himself and directly confronts Wang Yinlin. He rudely grabs his shoulder, which gets slapped away, leaving Tan Ming with no other option. Wang Yinlin and Tan Ming start trading blows while dancing across these poles, and now whether it's because they're actually bouncing on poles or these two weren't as comfortable with each other's fighting styles, this fight looks painfully slow in comparison to later fights. Tan Ming loses his footing and has to drop down to the ground where he continues the fight, swiping at Wang's legs. Mr. Wang drops down as well and starts sending these devastating kicks towards Tan Ming, which shatters any pole in his way. When the two square off again on the ground, the fight resumes and here we get that quick dynamic exchange that you have to watch twice to pick up the details. They don't fight long, however, before Li Chao and his crew show up to break up the fight. Everyone gets thrown into the mix here briefly before Li Chao can calm everyone down for about a few seconds. But having just been attacked in his own home, Wang Yinlin is less than receptive to hearing what Mr. Li has to say. Wang thinks that Li Chao is there to challenge him to a duel, which apparently is something you do in China. They eventually get around to explaining that they're there to ask for his help, but Wang Yilin is not interested until Mr. Li demands that his brother Tan apologize for instigating the brawl. Easier said than done. Tan Min, don't apologize to brother Wang. I've no time for trifles. I'm going. Elsewhere, Tan Ming has made his way to a fishing pier where Su Hei Hu, played by the always menacing Lu Feng, is overseeing the day's catch as well as training his crew in some basic kung fu. As he retreats into his office, Tan Ming shows up and proceeds to handle things with his usual tact and grace. I am here to see your buff. I was told he's a very reasonable man, but I didn't expect this. Is this your welcome? What is the Pottern family? Hey, y'all. It's Juliette Miranda from the Unwritable Rant Podcast. This is Michael Vasquez of the No Soundbites Allowed Podcast. I'm James Hatton. I'm Podcast Rob from the Something Something Cast. This is Knock from the Geek Ogre Podcast. This is Jeff with the Kung Fu Drive-In Podcast. This is Daniel from the Toe on the Trigger Podcast. This is Dave from the Parlapod Podcast. Hey guys, this is Mike from the Mike Jolet Show. Woo! We're Josh and David from the Scotch and Flicks Podcast. We are you. Podcasters coming together in a community to help one another grow. So follow us on Twitter at Podern Family. Use the hashtag Podern Family in your tweets and retweet other people who do the same. Potter and Family, where great podcasts come home. Alexander Fusheng milks everything he can from this role, from his exaggerated facial expressions to the way he looks down on everyone throughout the film. It's great to watch, and here he gets a showdown against a crowd until one of them heads inside to grab Suhei Hu. Master, there's a man giving us trouble. He's outside. No one dare cause trouble in my place. You must have provoked him into fighting you. I'll sort it out. Suhei Hu steps outside and Tan Ming boldly motions him over with the Bruce Lee Khmer hand gesture. Suhei Hu steps right up to him and almost instantly they're going at it with some really powerfully delivered hand strikes. It's a really short exchange though as Suhei Hu uses his familiar terrain to his advantage. He grabs a rope and swings his way to a low bridge wall. Tan Ming follows but Suhei Hu catches him off balance and kicks him into the river below, then dives after him and holds his head underwater for a few very long seconds. The next scene focuses on a presumed dead Tan Ming on a stretcher as his body is being delivered back to Li Jian Chao. As Su Hei Hu calls out, we cut back to Tan Ming who opens up an eye and playfully peeks out at the proceedings. Apparently, this is all really funny to him. Before Li Jian Chao can address the situation, Tan Ming pops up off the stretcher and lands a hard strike right into Su Hei Hu's back before returning to the stretcher. Fight 
The strike throws Suhei Hu into Li Chao, and the two trade blows very briefly. When Mr. Lee sees his quote-unquote dead brother on the stretcher, he goes on the offensive and attacks Suhei Hu. T. Lung was always a very elegant fighter, and it's nice to see him play off with the more raw style of Lu Feng. Suhei Hu catches on to Tan Ming's trickery and attacks him instead, forcing him up off the stretcher. Tan Ming takes the opportunity to get in one more dig at Suhei Hu. Hey, enough for now. Brother Lee, you overestimated Suhei Hu. He's not very good. Upon realizing who he's fighting, Li Chao stops the battle and apologizes to Suhei Hu. The rest of the rebellion fighters join them in the courtyard where they clear up any misunderstanding caused by the impetuous Tan Ming. They all have a good laugh over having nearly killed one another for no reason, because that's funny. Sometime later, the assembled fighters are professing their allegiance to Mr. Chai as Li Chao explains who he is and what he's doing for the cause. They go over plans to meet in secret and work out a way to help Mr. Chai escape. Meanwhile, Mr. Chu at the competing pawn shop is paying more and more mind to the traffic of known martial artists visiting Li Chao's shop at odd hours. At a local brothel, he's sitting to dinner with a visibly distressed General Yang when the general offhandedly accuses him of potentially harboring the fugitive. Mr. Chu panics and, to protect himself, begins to offer up some information that we don't hear because... We fade back to the present with the five students. Now be honest, you forgot we were in a flashback that entire time, didn't you? I took notes on the film and even I forgot. Anyway, we only visit very briefly with the students as they acknowledge the danger that their teachers were putting themselves into for the cause. We then fade right back to the past where Philip Kuo is the street performing Beggar Sue. He's putting on a kung fu demonstration for spare change when Tan Ming shows up to watch. Beggar Sue then goes on to show off his pole skills as he flings the pole around into the air over and around him. He then tosses it high into the air and drops into a handstand where he catches the falling pole between his feet before kicking it back into the air and catching it mid-somersault. The move doesn't impress much of the crowd, but it does catch the eye of one audience member. You just did the famous scissors kick. Not many people know that. Ah, you obviously know Kung Fu. Tan Ming is among the unimpressed but intrigued, so he steps up to Beggar Sue and straight up challenges him to a fight. But the bravado of both men pushed them to make some highly irregular bets. If you get close and punch me, I'll knock my head against the stairs till I die! Good. If I don't get to punch you once, I'll do the same and knock my head. Right. That's a deal then. Fight scene. Philip Kuo is always thrilling to watch when he starts fighting. He's got incredible acrobatic range and director Chang Che always manages to showcase it perfectly. With Tan Ming attacking, Beggar Su uses his evasiveness and speed to stay just out of reach. With his acrobatics, we see him fly up and over Tan Ming from a standing position. Also watching this fight is Mr. Chu from the other pawn shop. As he watches Beggar Su's incredible display, you can see an idea cooking up in his head. Meanwhile, word of the wager that Tan Ming threw down gets back to his brother Li Chao, who now has to go after him and help him try to avoid having to kill himself. Li Chao arrives just in time to see Tan Ming punch a metal plate thrown up as a block. Tan Ming tries to claim that it was a hit, which Beggar Su denies. So, of course, the fight continues with lots of close-quarter exchanges. Li Chao moves in to try and stop the fight, but gets barred by the knowledgeable spectator who's eager to have them keep fighting. He puts his arm out to stop Mr. Li, which Li instinctively grabs. And as he touches the spectator's arm, the guy flexes, and immediately, Li Chao knows who he's dealing with. Teach us. That's right! Fight scene. Now we get a concurrent second battle as Ticho San goes in against Li Chao. Ticho San shows off lots of ripped muscle action as he takes the fight right to Li, who's more content to sit back and defend but look very fluid doing so. The police show up and try to break things up, but all of the combatants fall in line and go with the story that they were just play fighting for the crowd. There's a great little comedic sequence where Beggar Su and Tan Ming are laughing it up and pretending to be buddies when Tan Ming playfully punches Beggar Su in the arm. Beggar Su laughs it off after a double take and then returns the punch while bellowing some forced laughter. The cops buy it and move along while Li Chao gets acquainted with Ticho San. After the show breaks up, Mr. Chu steps in and invites Beggar Su and Ticho San to his place for some tea. Impressed by the martial arts demo, Mr. Chu suddenly decides that he wants to open up a kung fu school and have these two experts run it. 
We then cut to the hybrid Venom himself, Chang Sheng, playing Chou Yu Sheng as he's working out with his weapon of choice, the Long Staff. He easily threads heavy baskets of grain and moves them across the field without breaking a sweat. As he practices, Beggar Su and Ticho San walk by and, without even an introduction, get into a quick fight with Mr. Cho, because why not? Fight scene. Cho Yu Sheng and Beggar Su throw down, but Cho Yu Sheng works the pull effortlessly, keeping Beggar Su from getting too close. However, during one exchange, Beggar Su drops into his handstand and, using the infamous scissors kick, is able to lock Mr. Cho's staff in place to force a stalemate. The signature kick does, however, give Beggar Su away as Mr. Cho recognizes who he's dealing with from the kick alone. The two quickly show mutual respect for each other, and in the span of the next few seconds, become BFFs for life, as they find out that they both like to drink, fight, and gamble. And to show what good friends they are, the next scene has the pair visiting the casino, where they drunkenly bounce around from table to table, making bets and winning some money. They get to the Domino's table and quickly win a big hand when they're interrupted by the burliness of Lomang himself, who stops them from collecting their winnings by snapping a table rake into little pieces, using just his two fingers. He tries to fool the drunks into thinking they lost by snapping some dominoes in half and presenting them as a winning hand, but even in his drunken state, Cho Yusheng recognizes what's going on. I know who you are. You're Chen Tinchun. Your name's Iron Fingered Chen. They say you've steel fingers. And since they're in a casino, Mr. Cho challenges Iron Fingers to a bet, and Iron Fingers ups the ante quite significantly. Let me see. You win, you can have my two fingers. He pins two dominoes under his fingers and challenges the pair to simply lift them. But no matter how hard the pair struggle, the dominoes won't budge. That is, until Beggarsu gulps some wine and accidentally spits it right into Iron Fingers' eyes. Iron Fingers releases the dice and loses the bet. There's a really quick rumble in the casino during which Iron Fingers recognizes the style of Chou Sheng. The guys posture a bit more about who actually owns the Iron Fingers now, but they quickly settle things by offering to instead just all go out and get even more drunk. The three leave the casino together as we cut back over to Li Jian Chao's place where he and Mr. Chai are going over a map with presumably some kind of escape route. Outside, the three drunks have made their way to Li Jian Chao's pawn shop where they decide it might be fun to just cause some trouble for no reason. They start banging on the door and Beggar Sue even jumps up and destroys the pawn shop sign. Inside, some of the guys hide Mr. Chai away while outside, Iron Finger starts breaking down the door with his bare hands. Probo! Sushi Jackknife is a weekly show about depressed children's characters, dead soul of my mother that lives in the moon, and uh... <laughs> an apathetic Jorge shook his head no and walked off. Christmas Tuba Man. You've been brought here on a mission of the most high import Tuba Man. Planets of Miserable Slugs. So on this giant slug planet, I can't get over this idea. Giant slug planet. I, I, I really... There's one musical slug, just one? Just one. Just one? Yeah. And do his song for me and he day? And he just... He only plays it to torment the other slug. Super Bananas from the past. He's a super banana from the past. He's from the past. He went to the future, but he's from the past. Walmart haiku. At last, dreams come true. Bullets, hot pockets, nose spray, all in the same place. <laughs> Original games. Number two. Yes. Who said it? Garrison Keeler or Lil Wayne? Uh huh. A girl in a bikini is like having a loaded pistol on your coffee table. There's nothing wrong with them, but it's hard to stop thinking about it. But that's Lil Wayne. No, dude. It's Garrison Keeler. Sushi Jackknife is over 50 episodes strong and as binge-worthy as The Vicar of Dibley. No one knows what that is. You're, you're right. I mean, No one knows. I mean, I know what it is. Is it, it necessary that people know what it is? Well, I mean, you just referenced an obscure British sitcom that no one watched. I mean, I watched it. You are literally... The, <laughs> the people on the show didn't watch it. Yeah. Anyway. The opening was a hymn. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like a lot of people know about hymns. No, but... I, I, no one cares. <laughs> okay. Well, if you want, if it like comes around, like listen to Sushi Jackknife. We're on iTunes and Stitcher and whatever like off of it. Yeah. 
Yeah. Fight scene. The three drunks bust in and are met by Li Jian Chao, Tan Ming, and Wang Yin Lin. It's a big free-for-all in the courtyard with lots of punches being thrown around. Li Jian Chao stays off to the side for a moment when he recognizes Beggar Su from their earlier encounter during a street performance. Ticho San shows up from out of nowhere and defends Beggar Su one more time. And during the fight, Iron Fingers and Wang Yin Lin exchange some mutual admiration for their skillful displays of Kung Fu. Now, if you're a little lost as to why all of this is taking place, join the club because characterization in this movie is razor thin. To recap, the three drunks, Iron Fingers, Beggar Su, and Cho Yu Shang, left the casino and for absolutely no reason, went to Li Jian Chao's pawn shop and destroyed the front door. Li Jian Chao and his crew stepped up to confront them when Ticho San materialized out of thin air to stand with his three drunk friends. I want to know who's behind this. Get lost. No one gives us orders. Back inside, Mr. Lee comes up with another hiding spot for Mr. Chai since things seem to be getting a little heated in this corner of town. There's a quick interlude showing the next day where a party's going on in town. Mr. Chu and his stable of fighters are demonstrating their kung fu to a crowd when Mr. Chu gets called to General Liang's office to explain why he's opened up a kung fu gym in town, which is apparently forbidden. Chu explains that everyone's doing it, but he's got a specific reason. I'm using that to set up a front for you. <laughs> Liang officially adopts Chu as his eyes and ears on the street, while over at another brothel-slash-hotel, Li Jian Chao is brokering a deal to house Mr. Chai there with a friend of his. It should be a very safe place for him to hide away, but unbeknownst to them, Mr. Chu is also a frequent guest and spots a few of the famous martial artists leaving. He inquires with one of the attendants about their presence and learns that Li Jian Chao set up a room for someone who will be planning to stay there for a while. Chu immediately forms a plan and heads right to General Liang. They hatch a plot to get some of the tigers fighting, which would give the general an excuse to send some forces to the hotel to quell a public disturbance. At the brothel, the three casino buddies gather and call out for Tan Ming to try and instigate a fight. The ploy works as the hothead Tan jumps down to answer the bell. Fight scene. Tan Ming leaps down from the railing and goes at it with Cho Yu Shang while Wang Yin Lin faces off against Iron Fingers. It's kind of a half-hearted fight because even the combatants aren't sure why they're fighting, but it doesn't matter because General Liang shows up and starts his raid. Mr. Chai, seeing that he's up against it, leaps down from his room and makes a break for it. The soldiers rush to grab him up, but dramatically, Li Jian Chao and the other four tigers pop up from atop the fence and leap down to join the fray. The soldiers give them what they can, but the kung fu is way too strong. They get Mr. Chai away, and the soldiers have to stand down. During a break in the battle, Ticho Shan shows up, which confuses and angers Li Jian Chao. Ticho San, you've not lived up to your reputation. You surprise me working for them. You're insulting me. A confused Ticho San tries to piece together what's happened when he's told that his crew was just there to fight Tan Ming when the soldiers showed up. Mr. Chu, feeling the heat a little bit, goes over to General Liang and gets stopped by Ticho San, accusing him of using them for his own ends. A quick-thinking Mr. Chu, however, has a cover story. You arranged all this. What's so stupid as to let you use us? Please listen. This is quite complicated, so let me explain. Li Jian Chao has a wanted man. So what? I know it's all my fault. Forgive me. But you see, he is my enemy. He has burned my house, destroyed my land took everything I had, and then he raped and he killed my wife. Now do you understand? Personally, I would have stopped at the stealing and burning my land, but he went all the way to raping and killing his wife. Either way, Ticho San buys the story, and Iron Fingers pledges their help as they go off in search of the quote-unquote criminals. They happen to cut off the escaping Mr. Chai and crew and face off right in the city streets. Li Jian Chao tries to move past them without incident, but Iron Fingers points to Mr. Chai, saying that he can't leave without going through him. All ten Tigers now go at it against one another in a dazzling flurry of kicks and punches, but while there are a lot of small skirmishes in this film, there hasn't been any extended fight scenes where you can really appreciate the skill and form of the actors. This is most likely due to Chang Chae having to deal with so many personalities and trying to tell their stories adequately. A lot of the film is intro on each character, and even then, a lot of them get very short shrift. For example, Dick Wayne never gets his story told, and his screen time is limited to assisting Mr. Chai on and off screen, pretty much. 
Speaking of Mr. Chai, with all the fighting going on around him, he decides that he's had enough and offers himself up for arrest so they can get their reward. That's not what I want you for. I want you because you've committed arson and rape and murder too. When Li Jen Chao hears what they're after him for, he steps in and tries to set things right. Yes, your son. I was told you were a decent man, because you joined to fight the Chins. Haven't you heard of the leader, Chai Ming Yi? At the mention of the name, all the fighting comes to a halt and they all gather around Li Jen Chao. Realizing that there was a huge case of misunderstanding, the Ten Tigers finally come together to rally under one cause. The most important thing now is to get Mr. Chai away, huh? Right. Once he reaches the pier, a boat will take him across. Once he's got across, he'll be safe. We then cut back to the present where the five students are working up a plan to lure out their attackers. Elsewhere that evening, Tung Chi and the younger Liang arrive at a location on the pier where they get some important news from an informant who used to work for Tung Chi. He recounts the final moments of General Liang's rule in, yes, another flashback. And back in the past, we're at the pier where the Tigers hope to launch Mr. Chai to safety, but waiting for them there is General Liang himself. Now, for somebody who had so much trouble finding Mr. Chai in the first place, he sure did manage to get the pier covered in a hurry. Li Jen Chao stares down General Liang, and for all you Wu-Tang fans, here we get a classic line that you've heard in the beginning of Bring the Ruckus. On guard, I'll let you try my Wu-Tang style. What's up, everybody? This is your man, Adam, from the Mike Kings Podcast, telling you guys to give us a listen on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and follow us on Twitter, at the Mike Kings. We talk about pop culture, movies, games, TV shows, anything that's interesting to today's millennials. Give us a listen. I promise you'll enjoy it. We appreciate it. Thank you. I'd like to try your tank style. Let's begin then. Fight scene. This is one of the better fights in the movie because it's focused squarely on the fighters and displaying their respective styles and skills. Liang breaks out his Wu-Tang sword while Li goes in with just his hands. It's a tightly choreographed exchange with some excellent moves from both. The first highlight comes from when Liang brings the sword down for what could be a killing blow, only to have Li catch the blade in his hands, maneuver it out of position, and then with a few twists of his wrist, snap the blade in pieces. Liang steps back and calls for a replacement and his hand is something I still have no explanation for. It's a golden club shaped like a woman or Buddha or something, but it's clearly just a blunt force trauma inducing piece of metal that Liang can wield like a sword. Li is able to avoid it, but when Liang's soldiers get antsy and try to rush in, the tigers step up to hold them off. There's a big battle royale for a few minutes as the tigers hold off the soldiers from disrupting the fight with Liang. Su Hu, who's doctor all fighting on, has taken some precautionary measures prior to the fight which he calls into action now. At his signal, several dozen fishermen pop out of the water and drag soldiers from the pier. With the tigers looking on, Li manages to turn the tables on a wildly swinging General Yang. He disarms him of the club, which he sends spinning into the air above him. Li grabs it and brings it down on Liang's head, cracking it open and sending a geyser of blood shooting out from the top of his skull. Back in the present, the younger Liang is itching to go after the tigers, but is urged to be patient by Tung Chi. His plan is to go after them one by one because of the numbers. The next day, one of the five students is performing in the street when he's visited by the younger Liang. Back at the dock, another of the five students takes a meal break when the foreman calls out to the student to try to lure him out in the open. Tung Chi joins the conversation and the student figures out what's up. I'm sure you know of me. Tung Chi sound familiar? Hmm. You used to work with General Liang. A pity you didn't join him together in hell. You should have died long ago. Tung works with the pole while the student uses one of the benches. It's a fast-paced battle and the student gets the first minor victory by destroying Tung's pole. Tung Chi reaches into his silks and pulls out two daggers, and then later uses a set of chained rings. The student's definitely able to fight off most of the attacks, but Tung has another weapon in his utility belt, his Wu-Tang sword. The student counters with a bowl and chopsticks, as his specialty is using anything nearby as a weapon, Jason Bourne style. But even with that, it appears that the crafty Tung has one more trick up his sleeve, literally. He adopts a Spider-Man pose and from his wrist shoots a blade-tipped chain that launches out and stabs the student. 
Tung pulls on the chain, yanking the student around like a rag doll, then flipping him up and dropping him onto the ground. The other students arrive to find their deceased comrade left to rot, while back at the street performance, the younger Liang is watching as the performer works some nice moves with his sword. He throws a piece of silver at the student and they strike up a conversation about their respective martial arts skills. The younger Liang offers to show the student a demonstration so they can compare notes. As they show off, the younger Liang draws a knife from his boot and stabs the student in mid-tumble. The student's assistant, a practitioner of the iron head technique, goes after the younger Liang, but runs into the business end of the blade as he breaks through a large jar. A few moments later, Tung Chi arrives on the scene and disperses the crowd, warning them that no one should say anything lest they want to be arrested. The younger Liang takes the place of the street-performing student and begins putting on his own show just as the other two students arrive. They ask about their friend and play along with the younger Liang as they probe him for some info about who he is. They prod him into giving them a demo of his skill, and we get another set of fighting showing off what they can do. They test different styles on the younger Liang, and throughout they send silent signals to one another that they know this guy is involved with the murder of their fellow student earlier. They purposely put the guy through a battery of tests, and then lead him to a trap where they string him up with some rope and suspend him upside down. While prone, they stretch him out, and then reveal that they knew who he was all along. You filthy swine! It's not fair! You're not giving me a fair chance! You give no one a chance. Why should we play fair? You don't deserve it. Having stolen Liang's knife from his boot, they stab the guy and leave him hanging for Tung Chi and his soldiers to find. The two students next show up before an older Su Hei Hu and Beggar Su to report on what just happened. They get dispatched to perform one more task as we cut to the casino again where Tung Chi is at a table. A dark figure walks in and sits down nearby just as one of the students hovers over Tung Chi. Tung grabs at his wrist chains just in case, but the student walks away without incident. At least, that's what he wants it to look like. Fight scene. While everyone continues gambling, the two students stage a mock fight which barrels into Tung Chi, drawing him into it. He pulls out his sword and starts swiping at the students, but they pretend to not notice him while they continue fighting with each other. Tung Chi launches his chain blade again, but it gets stopped, and he decides to blow open the charade. No games. Wong Chao Ming, Lin Fu Cheng, I know that you're both only pretending. The battle rages all over the casino, with only the dark figure choosing not to empty out as the fight rages on around him. When it gets too close, the figure steps up and inserts himself into the contest. How stupid. If Tung Chi's here, then Tung Pa shouldn't be too far away. Tung Pa breaks out a long spear, and he and the student exchange strikes, eventually drawing the other fighters into the mix as well. They trade off enemies and use the casino props to hide behind and attack from. Tung Chi's having a harder time with his battle, while Tung Pa is caught in a viciously frantic spear fight. It's hard to keep up with who's playing who, because out of nowhere, Su Hei Hu and Beggar Su leap into the fray for what is shaping up to be an epic finish. Final fight. Su Hei Hu uses his cape like a matador to force Tung Chi into somersaulting away into a corner. The move distracts one student, and while he's looking away, Tung Pa launches the tip of his spear into the student's gut. The falling student gets the last lick in, however, as he falls right into Tung Chi, and the spear point, which is sticking out of his back, stabs Tung Chi under him. Beggar Su drops in and picks up where the student left off against Tung Pa and uses his cape to force Tung Pa to leap up and out of the way of his attack. The leap is poorly placed, however, as Tung Pa gets his speed caught up in the rafters above him, leaving him to hang like a disabled bat. Beggar Su wastes no time taking advantage of the accident and leaps up at Tung Pa, then kicks at his head with both legs so hard that it pops Tung Pa's head clean off of his shoulders. Decapitation by Kung Fu Kick. The body drops to the ground and the student expires with a smile on his face as we fade to a final shot of all 10 tigers on the shore and the 5 students in happier times. So overall, a fun movie to watch if only for the star power packed into it. There's some great fight scenes, but not enough that are long enough to really enjoy. And as for the storyline, well, with so many characters to try and explain, it gets muddy, and really, trying to shoehorn the two stories into one movie didn't make any sense. It would have been a tighter movie had they just stuck with the Ten Tiger story until they could help Chai escape, rather than try to Frankenstein the student story into it for more revenge porn. 
Still, as a big Venom Mob and T-Long fan, to have them all in one place doing their thing is a good thing. So give it a look and let me know what you think. Okay, gang, that's it. The last Kung Fu Drive-In podcast for 2016 or the first podcast of 2017, depending on when you listen to this. Thanks for sticking around. And of course, follow me wherever good social media is available. Shout out to the Potter family and the Movie Pod Squad hashtags on Twitter and to all my fellow podcasters with a special thanks to the Kenny Ho Show for giving this little podcast a big shout out on the Potter family anniversary episode number four. The Kenny Ho Show was one of the first podcasts that I discovered via the Potter family hashtag. And his was always a show that I wanted to emulate in terms of quality and character. If you haven't listened yet, give his show a try because the guy's witty and give some good talk on all things nerdy and dirty. Until next time, Poison Clan, see you next year. Peace. This time we swamp, we smash the place up with a dragon claws. We walk into the tea house, ready for some action. Drink a little wine, we get a drunk, and then we fight in hack. This time it's warm, we smash the place up with a dragon claw. I see the iron fisted bunk upon the daily prayers. Shouting monks on the hands, running down the thousand stairs. The fate of Lee Khan, now's in King Yu's hands. With the fearless Aida roaming over the land. Yeah, the little bitch soldier is older than wiser. He wants a world of peace because he doesn't want to fight. Yo, got the venom mob laying down the law. Bruce Lee delivered kicks, guaranteed to graze jars. Fight for the cars, then pause here, the pause. Not again, back kicks will defeat the outlaws. Very good, but all don't hit back Yeah, the death jewels here David D is coming back The Tai Chi master Jet Li's even faster The channel little dream Because he is the drunken master Once upon a time in China Rosamund Kwan is real fine But see Maggie show his spiner Golden Swallow has arrived Chan Chi movies Will the hero we survive We've got the brave archer Make his way to the top Of the mountain gonna fight May as well pick the spot Yeah, the sky goes black Cause the vampire's back We've got Lam Ching Ying To kill them all to so stand back He plays the black magic On the soul of the sword and our sword will travel until his body's on floors Yeah, Wing Chun showled in the mountain style Yeah, defeat the enemy and watch him run for miles Blood will spill now on the mountain tops When we bring back the soul of the legendary pops Walking to the tea house, ready for some action Drink a little wine, we're getting drunk and then we're fighting This time it's warm, we smash the place up with a dragon claws We're walking to the tea house, ready for some action Drink a little wine, we're getting drunk and then we're fighting this time it's war, we smash the place up with a dragon claw. See, it's a game of death, yo, you're facing the big boss. It's once upon a time in China, counting the TikTok. The Shogun, Assassin, Slashing, Blood, or just drip drop. The head kick, neck drop, balance, the bone stop. Wanna kill Bill, better get the assassins. He's got Irma just in yellow, but she is in the dragon, but in the tea rooms. That's where it'll happen. She got the bodies on the floor, when the blood it'll splatter against the wall. No fear at all, to kill them all. There's always blood spilled when you head into a war. Fearless. Unleashed The fist of legend that the car jet leave I'm Bolo Young, yo, I'll always be a beast You rumble in the Bronx, yo, I'm rumble in the streets And it's simple, see the facts are these There's only ever gonna be one Bruce Lee Walking to the tea house, ready for some action Drink a little wine, we get it drunk and then we're fighting ha. This time it's warm, we smash the place up with a dragon claws We're walking to the tea house, ready for some action Drink a little wine